Welcome to the August 2018 episode of Jazz Talk Northwest. My name is Josh. And my name is Max. And I'm Paul Green. Yep. Today in the studio, we have a very special guest, Paul Green. He's a singer, harmonica player. He plays jazz and blues, and he specializes in vocalese, right? That's correct. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, Paul has won multiple times the Washington Blues Society Bless, Best Blues Harmonica. The award he's won it so many times. The award is now named after him, which is That's pretty exciting. That's what that was. I heard something was named after you. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. 2008 <laughs> Washington Blues Society Hall of Fame, 2017 Lifetime Achievement Award. You've won so many awards, Paul. Oh yeah, little money in the right places, and <laughs> that's what happens. Uh, that's really exciting, and we're yeah. so glad that you're here today. And you moved to uh, Tucson, right? In... Uh, last September, yes. Last September. Yes. Okay, cool. I thought it was in 2018, but I guess you've been away for a little longer than that. Yes. Uh, Paul's been a stalwart of the uh, Seattle area scene for a long time, and we were really sad to see him go, but you're back here for a couple weeks, it sounds right. like. Right, And so, uh, yeah, let's... Uh, how is Tucson? How does the scene there, and how, how's that, how, how have you found that um, differing from the Seattle scene? Well, uh, I was a... I've lived in Seattle for 27 years, and... Uh, Although it's really beautiful in the Pacific Northwest, uh, over over that period of time, it, it just changed so much for me. The quality of life changed a lot, and uh, I'd been thinking about it for a while. And uh, so I, I looked at a couple of different places to uh, to move to Eugene and um, Bellingham, uh, but n neither of those places had a music scene that I was interested in. Hmm. And I'd been visiting a friend of mine, who uh, actually a, a bandmate who left and relocated to Tucson. I'd been going down there periodically to visit him. So um, when I finally decided to leave town, that's how I ended up in Tucson. Cool. Uh, it's really, uh, it's a very beautiful, cool place. Uh, very artsy uh, place, art scene. And it's kind of a blue island in a red state. Um, Arizona is pretty conservative, but Tucson is very liberal. So um, for me, that that was uh, uh, a requirement. And uh, a lot of artists down there. There's a uh, a good music scene. Uh, all kinds of music: uh, country, bluegrass, jazz, blues. Uh, more of a blues scene than jazz uh, scene. But I'm mm. uh, slowly getting integrated into that scene cool uh, uh, there's a drummer down there um, pete swan who is uh really uh the mainstay of jazz down there and and keeps things going but you know i have to remember i was i've been in seattle so long 27 years and i haven't even been a year down there in tucson uh but even in that relatively short period of time i've uh gotten a lot of work and i've been very lucky um, so it's worked out quite well for me. That's pretty uh, exciting. Yeah. If I can ask, where where did you live before mm -hmm. Seattle? Oh, let's see. I, I, well, I grew up in New Jersey. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, I left home at about 18. Never looked back. Uh, <laughs> lived, lived for a short time in uh, Baltimore. Uh, and then moved back to New Jersey down to the shore, um, down to Long Branch, where I played in bands 
and uh, actually got to play with uh, Steve Van Zandt and, and Bruce Springsteen. They were still local artists. Whoa. And they, they, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and it was just amazing to see those guys back then. But they would, uh, when I saw I get to play with them, I didn't play in their bands, but they would come sit in with right, us. And, right. and it was really fun. Uh, but when I left New Jersey, I had a, a friend. Uh, his name was John Lyons. He was a harmonica player. So when I left the band that I was playing in, uh, which was called the Bank Street Blues Band, or no, actually it was the Blackberry Booze Band at that time, I got I got uh, Johnny to, to come in and take my place. And eventually he replaced everybody in the, the original band and got his got his own band together, and which became Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. So that's Johnny Lines back there in New Jersey. Then I was in... Uh, like I said, I was in Baltimore, uh, but primarily I was in Berkeley, California for about 20 years, mm. uh, which was very cool. I got immersed in the tail end of a very active and heavy blues scene there, which uh, unfortunately has has long since uh, gone. But I met a lot of a lot of great players there. Um, uh, Okay, so the the place, well, I'll tell you an interesting story. Not long after I got there, I was watching the local public broadcasting station, and they had somebody on uh, playing blues named J.J. Malone. And when I heard this guy play, he was singing and playing piano by himself. I was just completely knocked out. It, it was like the real thing. Uh, you know, he was deep, deep blues uh, guy. Mm. So I... Uh, I called the station and I said, I'd, I'd like to get a hold of J.J. Malone. Uh, I saw him on your show. Could you give me his phone number? And they said, <laughs> no, we can't give you his phone number. That's, 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 you know, private. So I kept talking to him, talking to him, talking to him. Finally said, okay. Uh, you know, so this was uh, a, a while back. That probably never would happen today. But I convinced <laughs> them that I wasn't, uh, you know, uh, I wanted really to meet him. That's one way to so, do it. I called JJ out of the blue, and I said, you know, I really liked his music. I play harmonica. Would would it be okay if I got together with him to to play? And he was a little re reluctant too. You know, who's this nut calling me? Uh, but finally, he said, okay, come over. And uh, I went to his. He had a little place in in Oakland, right near the railroad tracks, uh, and he had an old upright piano. And we sat down and started playing some blues. And right away, it just clicked. It was really great. And so uh, from that point, of course, Jay was hooked into the entire uh, Oakland blues scene, Oakland, San Francisco. And through that, <clears throat> I got to, I started playing with him. And at that time, his main partner was uh, a musician, Sonny Rhodes, who was a great uh, guitar player, vocalist also. Actually, his name is Clarence Smith, Texan. But... Uh, uh, from that, I got hooked in and started playing in the local blues scene and uh, all the little funky clubs, the, the, the after-hour clubs in uh, in the warehouse district, uh, playing with people like Cool Papa, uh, J.J. Bad Boy Jones, uh, Little Frankie Lee, Bobby Murray, all these really great uh, blues musicians, High Tide Harris. So all these blues musicians seem to have fantastic nicknames. Did you ever <laughs> yes. end up with one? 
No, no. <laughs> I never had a nickname, uh, but uh, well, yeah. Sometimes it's never too late to people start. People call me Mean Paul Green, but <laughs> <laughs> that was ridiculous. Uh, and uh, so that I met all these great musicians, uh, but really, where I cut my teeth was uh, JJ had a partner, Twice Key, who was one of the original rock and rollers uh, on RCA. Uh, and and Troyce was a Southern boy. He, he talked like this, and he was drinking uh, <laughs> Southern Comfort all the time. He said, "Hey, Paul, how y'all doing?" Like that. And he was very cool. Always dressed sharp. Uh, so we and and JJ and Troyce Key were partners. So we started playing at this little club in West Oakland called Eli's Mile High Club, and it was uh, a real small blues joint. Uh, populated just by the local uh, people and so uh, we were playing there for a while and Eli owned the club with his wife Alberta so Eli had a lover named Frankie and eventually one day in the bar Frankie and Eli got in an argument and she shot him dead right in the bar Oh uh, my gosh! Were you in the bar at the time? Or no, you... no. This was during the day when nobody was there except Frankie and Eli. The bullet holes were still in the wall. So um, Alberta, Whoa. his wife, was totally fed up with the bar. She didn't want anything to do with it. So uh, she sold it to Troyce, uh, Troyce Key, and then uh, the band that, that I was part of with Troyce and JJ started playing there every weekend. And uh, I, I did that for years, and that's where I really got to uh, get into the blues and listen to all these people and uh, and, and play. Um, and it's definitely something you could sing the blues about. What, what's that? People getting shot. Oh, in yeah, the bar. Right. No. <laughs> it was it was actually uh, uh, well, you know, uh, West Oakland at that time was was not a uh, you know it was that's a right. fairly dangerous area, uh, but there was never much trouble in the bar. Uh, cars were often broken into, and eventually, Troyce hired a security guy to keep an eye on things. But what happened was uh, somehow the kids from Berkeley University uh, found out about the bar, and and started coming down there. And uh, the weekends were packed, and they actually had a line to get into this place, which formerly had just been this little local thing. And the, and Choice started charging a little a cover charge, which was unheard of for these bars. And anyway, that's uh, that's the story of Eli's, and that's where I really uh, uh, learned to play the blues with these people, great blues artists. Um, uh, wow. I was very fortunate. That's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, you hear I hear and have read that you got your start in the blues. Uh, but this record that we're about to talk a little bit about, Creativity, released in 2015, oh. is more of a jazz record, yeah, right? Absolutely. At what point did you start exploring jazz? Straight ahead. Well, uh, I grew up uh, in, in a household with a lot of music, and my parents uh, had a whole variety of music. Uh, they actually had uh, Art Blakey albums. Earl Garner, a lot of Earl Garner, as, as well as uh, Broadway shows and uh, some classical Stravinsky, things like that, which I loved. Um, and of course, being a young kid, I listened to a lot of rock and roll and, mm -hmm. and everything else too. But the other thing uh, was I was uh, fortunate to live, the, the town I grew up in was near 
uh, Newark, New Jersey, which was a large black community, and they had their own radio station, WNJR. So uh, from a very young age, I was listening to both blues and jazz, uh, and which jazz I always loved. But um, of course, playing harmonica, diatonic harmonica, uh, it's not closely associated with jazz because of the limitations of a scale. Uh, it's well suited for blues, but not necessarily for jazz. Uh, a chromatic harmonica that has a full range of notes it more often is, is associated with that. But what happened was, uh, of course, I, I listened and loved jazz all my life. And when I was in um, living in the Bay Area in Berkeley, there was a, a, a great jazz club called the Keystone Corner, run by Todd Barkin. And uh, I got to hear all the world-class jazz players, many of whom are gone now. Uh, but that was a huge influence on me, too, to, to listen. Um, but probably about 10, 10 years ago, um, a vocalist, a woman, uh, heard me playing blues, and she said, you know, you should try playing jazz. And I said, well, I, I don't think I can do that. You know, I love jazz, but I've never tried playing it. <clears throat> but she said, no, you should try it. Go, go home and try some playing along with jazz. So uh, I did. And what I found was there are many, many jazz tunes, especially ones that modulate that I, I can't play along with. But there are many, many jazz tunes that I can play with. Mm. And so I started doing it. Uh, and this was when I was living in Seattle at the time. Uh, so I started going out and, and, and going to jam sessions and so forth. And uh, it was a real learning experience because, um, uh, for one thing, uh, jazz musicians are, are uh, very selective. You know, they, they, they like to have people that can play along with them. So I come out and here I am with this little harmonica and could get a lot of looks. And uh, when I first started playing... Uh, you know, I, like anyone, I was learning how to do it. And so I made my mistakes and this and that. But the more I did it, the better I got at it. And uh, the other component was uh, I started singing jazz standards, uh, which uh, for me uh, helped because I couldn't, on a diatonic harmonica, there were a lot of uh, heads that I couldn't play, the head being the melody part of the music. Uh, but if I could uh, sing it and then I could play over the changes, that that opened up a, a lot of doors for me. Uh, and uh, I was drawn mostly, I re what I really liked was hard bop, which is a, you know, a certain genre of jazz uh, in the 50s and 60s that, that uh, uh, came out of uh, bop, which was much more frantic and, and uh, lots of... Uh, more complicated heads, but hard bop was more uh, blues-based, actually, I think, uh, yeah. more sanctified, very cool in its own way. So I thought, okay, there, there are all these uh, bop, hard bop tunes that I want to do, but I can't play the head. So what if I wrote lyrics and I could sing the head and, and then play over the changes? 
So that's how I got into vocalese. Um, I'd never written lyrics before to tunes, and I, I didn't know if I could do it. Uh, but once I started, I, it was, I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, so I've got about 40 tunes now that I've written lyrics wow. for. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I like them. I think most of them are pretty good. Um, the ones I've heard are, are great. Yeah. And, and that's how I, I, I got into that. Um, and so it really fulfilled two parts for me, my love of singing and my love of playing the harmonica and, you know, singing is its own instrument, uh, along with playing, playing the actual harmonica. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. And had I, you been singing before too with blues bands or did you, oh, did yes. you st- okay. I've been singing all my life blues. Which came first? I'm curious, harmonica or singing? Um, well, <laughs> I was when always, uh, as a little kid, I was always singing. Uh, I, I remember, uh, you remember transistor radios? Well, you may not, <laughs> but uh, I had a transistor radio, and I remember as a kid, I would take it into bed with me and and play it. And my mom would come up and say, "You know, Paul, go to sleep. You know, stop singing." So I would pull the covers <laughs> over my head, <clears throat> put the radio up real, really soft, and then I'd listen to that. And sometimes I'd sing along. But yes, I've been I've been singing all my life, but mostly blues. And, um, which is another, uh, factor because singing blues, uh, and singing jazz are, I see kind of two different things. Uh, uh, jazz, uh, in, uh, often is more, uh, a little bit mellower than, than blues. Uh, blues is just kind of shouting the blues, that expression, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Whereas jazz is a little more refined, singing jazz, uh, uh, which is another thing I never knew if I could do it. But once I started, I just, whatever I'm doing, it, it works for me and hopefully works for the audience too. Well, I've seen a lot of people uh, watching you perform who obviously have never seen you before kind of look a little skeptical when you pull out the harmonica and you start playing jazz. But right. quickly they, they realize what's what's going on and how cool it is. Right. And also for those of the people listening who don't know, uh, a diatonic harmonica basically only plays one scale. And so you need, you typically need more than one scale to play jazz, but somehow Paul is able to do that on quite a few songs and sound amazing. And I, I really don't understand how you are so good at it, but it's pretty incredible. Well, yes. Well, well, the thing is, uh, yes, it's a limited scale on the harmonica. Uh, and what I can do, what I do is what they call bend notes, which is a way of uh, when you're playing the instrument, you can produce notes that aren't normally there, uh, which sort of expands the range. And there are people today <clears throat> who can do uh, something called overblowing, which actually gives them a chromatic range of notes on a diatonic harmonica. And I can't do that. But the th- the main element for me is um to make the music swing and make the most of what you have and in and the way i do that is not not only by ha- adding more notes but using a lot of uh musical devices uh what they call musical devices which is your toolbox uh of of music uh of ways of playing music uh by 
uh, playing long notes or repeating phrases or building phrases. Uh, and by using all these uh, musical devices uh, and making it swing, you can really make some good music on a on a limited basis. Yeah, uh, you know. Um, and the other thing is, you want to get a good sound. Your tone on on any instrument is is really the, probably one of the most important things. Definitely. Uh, if you you could be playing, um, you know, playing a good good music, but if your sound your tone isn't good, it's not as appealing to the audience. So yeah, uh, there's just so many elements to playing an instrument that are that are important. Um, and the other thing is, uh, <clears throat> you know, I think most musicians when they're young and and learning to play, they have a tendency to play. Uh, overplay you know they're, they're you're feeling your oats and you're just learning the instrument and you're playing often they play a lot of things or they play a lot uh more interested in playing all up and down uh as opposed to really uh playing musically being being musical about it i always think of uh, you know i have a lot of musical heroes but my one of my biggest was uh, the Trump, uh, the um, saxophone player Dexter Gordon, and uh, Dexter was a master of of playing melodically. Um, you listen to his early work uh, when he was playing uh, in um, California uh, with uh, uh, on a record like The Chase uh, with Wardell Gray. <laughs> uh, who was another great uh, saxophone player, and these guys are incredibly uh, playing, you know, so much music. Uh, it's just amazing. But over the years, if you listen to Dexter's playing, um, you see that he obviously had the ability to play anything he wanted and play tremendously fast, play lots of notes and everything. But over the years, I heard uh, what I interpreted hearing him is getting more thoughtful with his playing and melodic and he was just amazing at that um, well, he's definitely one of the greats yeah yes um and so that's just one example of of um the the music uh how it um as a musician matures uh their music can change yeah um, well and going back to your record here we have this 2015 release creativity in front of us and um it's definitely swinging yeah as you mentioned um, it also features quite a few local musicians who are pretty swinging, I, I would say. And I was kind of wondering why, or if there is a reason why you had all these specific people play on this record. Just kind of like a, did you know you were going to leave Seattle at this point? Or was this kind of before that? Or oh, this was, was like a, a farewell project? Or yeah, a, this was a couple years before uh, I moved. Uh, and, uh. Greg Williamson, the drummer, mm -hmm. was uh, really a big uh, help with this. I'd, I'd done a lot of playing with Greg up at Boxley's in North Bend, Greg oh, yeah. Jazz Club. Currently, I think it's called <laughs> and the so, Wildflowers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so uh, <clears throat> he'd heard a, a lot of my original music and, and suge suggested that I do a CD. And he um, so he helped me organize it. Uh, and there are some great horn arrangements on here. And the person who did all the arrangements was David Marriott, the mm. uh, trombone player, band leader, 
mm-hmm. yep. who who is a tremendous musician and a really nice man. He he we met in my apartment one day and and I told him what I was wanted to do and what I was looking for and and I gave him recordings of of all uh, you know about 10 or 12 15 uh tunes that I'd written songs for. So David went back and uh made made the wrote the arrangements and then uh uh D- Greg helped me get the musicians together uh to do the recording pretty much all of whom I I played gigs with at one time or another uh Nate Parker on bass I did a lot of uh gigs with him and Greg on drums uh John Goforth a great saxophone player Dave Peterson a great guitar player and then on piano John Hansen amazing um Eric Verlending another great uh, pianist uh, and then on horns was David Marriott uh and Jay Thomas uh, along with John Goforth and Do you have uh, Danny, guys... Danny Colkey on one of those tracks too Oh Danny right Danny did yeah. uh, blues with me that's right mm-hmm. uh and I mean these guys were all amazing so we had one rehearsal and then we went in the studio. Whoa. Uh, and... So it's definitely a jazz record. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, uh, even the fact that we had one rehearsal was amazing. You know? <laughs> yep. uh, I know a lot of these um, Blue Note records uh, I read, uh, the, the musicians would show up and they never even had a rehearsal. Uh, the, whoever the band leader was, he just put the charts in front of them and man, off they'd go. And uh, these people were so good. You go back and listen to the uh, Blue Note recordings and uh, you'd think they were playing together for years whatever whoever the the group was but they were just spectacular musicians mm-hmm. so anyway we did this uh cd and i'm very proud of it you know they're all all the uh vocal tunes are ones that i wrote lyrics for including a blues at the end called telephone blues um uh, and it came out pretty good th- thanks to all these great musicians on it is there a particular track that you'd like to have us listen to together now? Yeah, why don't we listen to the title track, Creativity, which uh, is based on a Horace Silver tune. Horace, one of my great heroes, uh, he wrote a tune called Gregory Is Here. It's one of my favorite tunes. Son. Yeah. No one and ever I, does that one. I wrote lyrics called, uh, and I call it Creativity, uh, dedicated to artists everywhere. Cool. Let's give it a whirl. The challenge creating art requires both mind and heart. Sometimes you may go astray. But with work, you find a way. Creation of something new is often so hard to do. Frustration is always near. And for this, you must prepare. When faced with something that's completely new People can react and they 
can be so very cruel The artist must look inside Ignoring the public's eye When faced with adversity Stay true to their inner being Creativity. It's very creative. I love that song again. Gregory is here is the original song. 
Yeah, the, the I think the Brecker brothers were on that uh, original recording. Wow. For a second, I thought you were about to say something about playing with the Brecker brothers, too. But I wouldn't put it past you. Oh. But actually, I did want to go back for a second. The rest of this record is amazing. It features a bunch of other really cool songs that really don't get called that often in their original form. But Paul's versions are, are even cooler. Um, but I wanted to ask... Uh, what made you move to Seattle in the first place? We've talked about moving away from Seattle and such, but... Oh, right. I'm just curious. Um, well, let's see. I was in, living in Berkeley, uh, California, and I ha- had a... Uh, I was m- married and just having young kids. We had just had our second child, and it was uh, too expensive uh, to buy a home in California. At the time, it was kind of the peak of the real estate it was this was 1989 and so we were trying to figure out where to go and my my ex-wife uh at the um, at the time my wife uh had family in the chicago area um so we went back moved back to uh chicago actually to uh uh oh jeez right outside of Chicago. I can't even mm-hmm. remember the name right now. But we were there for two years, and it wasn't really... It, uh, coming from California to metropolitan Chicago wasn't really a good move for us. It was just uh, such a different area. It's a pretty big change. Yes. Um, Evanston. That's where we moved to, mm-hmm. Evanston, which is right outside of Chicago. So we wanted to go back to the West Coast, and California was still too expensive, so... I went, flew back, and took took a look at um, Seattle, and look, the area looked really beautiful, uh, and it was not at the time quite as expensive as you know the California was. So that's how we ended up in Seattle. Um, actually, we moved originally to Edmonds, mm-hmm. and uh, and then uh, from that point on, I, I, like I said, for twenty seven years, I lived somewhere in the Seattle area. Um, Sounds like a similar thing is happening here now than yes is what was happening in Berkeley. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, with housing prices and everything. Yeah, people getting priced out. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, uh, uh, <clears throat> Seattle um, has what I think is a thriving jazz scene right now. Uh, so moving to Tucson, it's been a bit of an uh, adjustment. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier, I'm I'm getting blues work there, blues and, and R and B stuff. Not as much jazz, but but I haven't been there very long. But it's definitely not as uh, thriving a jazz scene as it is in Seattle, uh, and that was hard to to leave that behind. Uh, I, I can imagine, lot, yeah. What, I'm sorry. Oh, I can imagine. Yes, I, I was getting a lot of work, both jazz and blues. But you know, I haven't been in uh, Tucson very long, not even a year, and and it always takes time to get established in a new uh, town. You know, one of the best ways of, uh, we all know uh, as musicians is you go to jam sessions mm-hmm. and you meet people. And then uh, you, from there, you, you uh, start to branch out. I actually have made uh, a cup, uh, made a uh, jazz demo and a blues demo, and, and that's helping me to uh, get work down there. Oh, cool. Um, and there, there are some places to play. But the, the difference in Tucson from Seattle, as far as the jazz scene goes, is uh, what I find is the clubs down there, unfortunately, uh, 
when they they'll hire a band and they'll get a schedule going of several different bands and then they don't rotate they just keep the same schedule month after month the, the same bands the same nights and um it's hard to break into those places and which i think is ridiculous uh but the club owners or band the people who book the music they have a lot of resorts down there uh are not really music people they're not interested in the music they just book the music and it's like okay we've got that done we don't have to think about it so they just keep using the same people over and over um very slowly you can break into those places so the trick is and which is why i made a demo uh, with some very good musicians down there there are a lot of good musicians uh, is to find new places to play and and start your own gig at a at a new club, uh, and that's what I'm working on right now. Primarily, I've got one monthly jazz gig down there right now, and uh, but the blues band I have is playing uh, quite a bit, so I I'm working on that. But I I'm sure over a period of time I'll get more work uh, playing jazz as well. Very cool. Yeah. Well. Uh, Speaking of jam sessions, uh, I'm pretty excited to have you playing at the Beaver Session this coming Sunday. Oh, that's right. This Sunday. uh, August uh, 5th. Right. And that jam starts at 9. Yeah. 9 to midnight. Um, There, there, yeah. Sunday night, there there is a a couple of jams in town. But I think the the one at the Beaver is uh, the most progressive and gets a lot of the younger... uh, really uh, high quality players come down and and sit in uh and and it's a, a great session the one coming this sunday uh that i'll be at is with you max and mm-hmm. ryan donnelly on bass yep. and ed weber uh on piano one of my favorite uh accompanists me too i uh, <laughs> the thing is for me um i love guitarists but uh i'm most comfortable <laughs> be careful <laughs> I, 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 i'm i'm most comfortable uh when i when i perform with a, a pianist and uh, just because of the nature of the instrument um it, for me it, it helps fill things out uh uh, more, and that's just my own uh, personal preference. Um, the other thing is, though, <clears throat> I've played with a lot of pianists in town, many of whom are really, really very good. But the thing is, playing a diatonic instrument, when I go to solo, uh, some of the pianists who are very, very accomplished, uh, I mean, quite good people who back up some of the the greats that come to town for the they may be part of the house band if they're playing too much uh too many of the chords uh when i'm soloing that are kind of outside uh sometimes it doesn't always work as well uh with the harmonica uh, a guy like ed weber uh, plays a very what i consider a contemporary kind of uh, jazz piano but he plays enough uh, inside playing uh, that it still sounds cool and contemporary, but it works better with the harmonica solo uh, as opposed to somebody who's going and playing outside scales, you know, with a an instrument uh, like the saxophone or trumpet that can play a different range of, of notes. It That works better w- when the uh, pianist is playing more outside. 
Um, that's why I like Ed um, so much. Um, Darren Clendenin is another great one. Um, uh, so the, the people like that, it, it, it works better with the harmonica. Yeah, it kind of goes back to just, you know, choosing musicality over right. anything else. I think we all do that. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you, you play with so many different musicians and you find the people that what forever, uh, what forever reason you work best with, uh, maybe it's, it's just their style or something about the way they play. Um, and so even if you, even though you might be able to play with a wide range of musicians, um, there are certain people that you particularly like to play with, uh, and, uh, have a certain sensitivity as to what you're doing. And, it, and so it works best, uh, as well as sometimes personality too, for whatever reason, uh, certain personalities you feel more comfortable with. And the thing with jazz is, uh, that, that word of comfort, I think, uh, when you are playing with people that you're comfortable with and that you're relaxed, uh, it's really so much easier to play music and improvise uh, than with people you might be struggling with a little bit for some reason. Very uh, true. <laughs> for the way they play. Uh, they may be good musicians, but like I said, if, if for whatever reason they're not in tune with what you're doing quite uh, and not as compatible, uh, the music uh, isn't in, uh, quite as good. And the thing is, we're always our um, worst critics, our own personal critics. You know, when what we're playing, we're thinking if it's good and bad. And and uh, it's always funny, too, because there are nights when, when you're playing and you think your playing isn't that good or the band you're thinking isn't sounding <laughs> so good. And the audience is like, oh, you guys are great. You know, it's really... And then uh, conversely, uh, you... Uh, or have a night when you're really hot and it's really happening and the audience may think, oh, I don't know, it's, it's okay, you know. It's just no way of telling, but yep. um, that's the life of a musician. That's how we are. Oh, yeah. So, Well, I think we're about out of time for today. Oh, uh, okay. Thank you so much, Paul, for hanging out with us. And Yeah, thank you so much. Well, this geez. has been really wonderful. Oh, and thank you, guys. It's an honor to do this and... Uh, uh, it's really uh, a great to talk about music, you know, because there's so much, uh, so much there and so many different places to go with it. Um, and I, I hope you guys are successful with your uh, future podcasts. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thank you. And remember, yeah. if you want to catch Paul, this would be your chance because he leaves, I think, the next day. That's right. So you have to come out on the 5th if you want to hear him. Yeah, yeah. come out, come out to the jam session this Sunday. Uh, mm -hmm. at the Angry Beaver, it's 9 o'clock, 9 p.m.